Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where institutionalized religion meets Jesus Christ face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Just to let you know, we're having a winter wonderland special on the products. We're trying to clear out our inventory. So uh, we are offering to you four music CDs, and the music has put the Word of God uh, to, to sound, to songs, and that uh, really helps you learn the Word of God, hear the Word of God, reflect on the Word of God. We have the book Shield of Faith. We have the book If My Kingdom Were of This World Then My Servants Would Fight. We have the book I Was a Born Again Mormon. And we have Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face to Face, 600 plus pages of joy. Uh, and then we also have the promise to send you the next book coming out, uh, Giving God a Chance to Make Sense, Part 1. And so that will come out in spring. So all of that available to you for the low discount price. The discounted price of 53 plus shipping, Derek just told me. 53 bucks plus shipping. You can't beat it for this holy day season coming up. So consider that... Uh, and you can go to the arch- you can go to the archives. You can go to the website www.hotm.tv. There's a store there. Click on the special. I, Seth has titled it some long extravagant thing, but you'll see it. And click on that, and it'll tell you what to do. All right. Probably since we have been involved in ministry, probably within maybe even with blacks in the priesthood receiving receiving the uh, priesthood in 78 what was announced uh, recently on the LDS website is the most revolutionary thing that the LDS church has admitted to in my estimation in a long long time uh, I want to thank everybody who has send, sent us uh, this article, especially Von B., who actually called me and told me that it was a front-page New York Times article. I also got something from uh, Mike Lake, who says this article in, in the British Isles ran on the BBC, The Guardian, The Scottish Daily News, The Telegraph, The Huffington Post, Sky News. Uh, and, and Mike Lake says, you know, could you mention what support is out there for the LDS for their welfare? What resources are good for finding the truth? Is there some counsel and encouragement to help 
the, these LDS people as they come through these times and encourage them to seek Christ. So I'm going to talk about that point in just a second, but let me tell you what was released, if you didn't know. Um, from the New York Times, Mormon leaders have acknowledged for the first time that the church's founder and prophet, Joseph Smith, portrayed in church materials as a loyal partner to his loving spouse, Emma, took as many 40 wives, some already married, one only 14 years old. That's the opening statement in the article. Now, you know if you've watched Heart of the Matter, if you've been followed Sandra Tanner, who for 40 years has been doing this, you know this information has been out there. But the logic with the LDS churches, I mean, their, their spokesman said, there's so much out there on the internet that we felt we owed our members a safe place where they could get reliable, faith-promoting information that was true about some of the more difficult aspects of our history. Really, how magnanimous of them. I mean, I'm sorry, this gets my blood boiling because it's so out there and in their face now, they don't have a choice. And so they come and say, we, we feel we owed our membership a safe place to what? Be beguiled more. Yeah, they have to come out with the facts because the facts are out there. And so what this has done, this isn't so revolutionary to me. I mean, there's somebody here who says, Joseph Smith was presented to me as practically a perfect prophet. And I know this is true from a lot of people, one LDS person said. Yeah, that, that's problematic. Other church members said, this is not the Joseph Smith I love. That's another quote. So this is part of their desire to try to somehow assuage the hemorrhaging that has been going on when people get online and they find out the truth about Mormon history, Mormon doctrine, Mormon practice. And, and so, uh, <clears throat> but they're saying things like, uh, our history is full of faith-promoting things, but these people weren't perfect. And they say this is the safe way to engage their, their members with this information, to let them know that the people weren't perfect. There is a huge difference between the founder of Mormonism practicing polygamy because he could probably justify it from a biblical text. That, and I couldn't, as a, as, as a Christian, to justify it. That's tough to do. But from a biblical text, they could probably have justified it. Um, but there's a completely different thing. If Smith came in and he took underage girls and he took other men's wives and he told them, God will strike me dead if you do not become my wife. An angel with a flaming sword is here and will take me out unless you marry me. And they trusted him as a prophet. There's a big difference between him committing adultery, him being involved with uh, other women. That would be the failure of the flesh. But to, to use God's name and say it's a principle that has to be practiced by him secretly, uh, that's the problem with all of it. The great thing about this, and great in my opinion, is that um, the door is now open. And what has to happen now is we have to ask not what does this information do to you? What, how will you respond to this information? 
Many Latter-day Saints are going to say, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. It was a different time. There's justifications for it, I don't care, and they're gonna continue on. We know that because people do that with anything they wanna believe. But there are gonna be some who say, okay, what else don't we know? And then they're gonna start learning about exactly how he practiced it, what happened to the women he practiced it with, what happened to the women after he died, and how the brethren, they, they like bartered those wives off in like an auction to go to some of the other guys later. Brigham Young took on a bunch of Joseph Smith's uh, ex-wives. I mean, the thing is really ugly, and so this has opened the door, and I believe that it's gonna now um, do something within the Mormon church that's never happened before. It's gonna cause a lot of people to have to make a decision what do I do with my faith? And so many are going to be going to atheism and agnosticism and I don't careism and blank thisism because they're so hurt. Now, Mike Lake from, uh, from England, he says, what can we do? And you know, this is why we are talking about the stuff we talk about within the Christian faith. Here in Utah, I met with a pastor yesterday we talked about how he doesn't want to recommend any church for, for uh, ex-Mormons or people leaving the Mormon church to go to because they're going from the frying pan into the fire and from the fire into the frying pan, any way you want to look at it, because they're all messed up. So we got to get our own house in order. It's one thing to be able to share about Joseph Smith and all his wives, but it's another thing to know what to do with people once they realize that information, take it to heart and say, okay, now what? We don't want to just throw people in the gutter. We don't want to say, ha, 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 you left Mormonism. You know, neener, 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 Mormonism. We want to say, come to the truth. And the churches right now, so the best thing in response to Mike Lake's thing is, what do we do? It's going to take people to get on there and be reasonable and loving and kind and, and not antagonistic and to help bring people in to understand that because Joseph was false doesn't mean Jesus is false. And because the Book of Mormon is false and Doctrine and Covenants doesn't mean the Bible is false. It might mean we just need to, to step up, but it's an exciting time because this stuff is now out there and the church is admitting it never before. So it's gonna be upon, uh, upon us to, to use some wisdom now on how to handle this instead of just uh, react and say, ha, 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 can you see, you know, or whatever it is. So, um, interesting article. You can read about that in many newspapers, and it's going to continue to foment for a while until people decide what they're going to do. We got a lot of emails tonight, uh, but we've got a new topic we're going to enter into. We may stop for a minute uh, in the next week or two because there's some really good information coming in on a few things, but we're going to introduce this new topic. We've touched on it before. Now we're going to do what we did with end times with it. It's going to take about four or five weeks, not nearly as long as end times did. So let's begin with a prayer. Father, we seek you and your wisdom and your love and um, help us to understand what you want us to know and uh, be people who seek you in spirit and in truth. Uh, in spite of ourselves, we're thankful for those who uh, help and who are here and who pray for the ministry and people who are present and watching from all over the world. Help our staff and volunteers, those who have been with us uh, long and short. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to embark on this 
this other topic I think has to be addressed within the Mormon Christian debate, and that is on eternal punishment. And it plays a major role in how a Christian sees God, views Christ, understands his ways, his love, his purposes. To me, it's intrinsic to a person's faith on how they view how God handles the unforgiven. And we have done quite a job in representing a side of a viewpoint, a perspective from the Bible due to a lot of influx of tradition and very little estimation of what Scripture is really saying. And we've perpetrated that upon people. And it's like we've said, listen, God really, really loved you. He sent his son. And if you don't accept him, you're going to roast in forever in hell. And, and that's kind of the presentation. And so I want to talk through, and, and, and tonight is going to be more philosophical, a little more theoretical, and, um, and then we're going to get into Scripture in the weeks to come. Uh, pay close attention. Like the end times, this stuff will alter your perspective if you allow it. Again, there will be people who say, no, 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 and you can't do anything about that. But all of this plays in and dovetails into everything we've talked about. It dovetails into end times. It dovetails into how we present Christianity, how we view things. And it, it dovetails in with the Mormon Christian debate. So instead, we're going to try to open up our conversation tonight uh, on eternal punishment uh, with just some thoughts. And um, how the Christian side has handled it. And up to now, Mormons, how they've handled it. Now, Mormonism has, just to generally speak, is essentially a universalist uh, church. Joseph Smith, his great-grandfather, his grandfather, his dad, his brother, they were universalists. They essentially believed that all mankind would be saved, okay? Uh, I am not in any way, shape, or form preaching universalism that all will be saved. What is saved means? Saved from hell and the lake of fire. I don't believe that. But I do believe that hell and the lake of fire have a purpose for those who have not accepted Christ. And I think that they play a role in a loving God working with people to come around to understand. I'm not preaching universalism. I don't believe everybody is saved from those places. There's debate on that, but I don't, right now at this point in my life, I don't believe that. But then again, the Christian side has said, listen, it's either you die and you go to heaven or you die and you go to hell. Heaven, good place. Hell, burning forever and ever and ever and ever. Heaven, forever and ever and ever and ever. I think the scripture suggests that there's an alternative way to look at that. So we're going to try to do is decide from as many perspectives as possible how God handles those who die without forgiveness of sin. The, and they have not forgiveness of sin because they have not received Christ by faith. Okay? I don't think we can erase that principle that Christ must be received by faith. So whether you realize this or not, it plays an important role. So some questions. First of all, let yourself really ask these questions. Is God love? First question. Now, aside from your response or opinions on the matter, I'm going to use the Bible to answer that for us. And 1 John 4, 8 says, yes, 
God is love. You have to note that scripture doesn't say God has love or God loves better than any other being, but John plainly states God is love. All right? This is his essence, his person, his being. Allow yourselves to think on that for a minute when you consider his objectives, his foreknowledge, his views of the universe, past, present, and future, his creation of mankind, all those things. How does scripture define love or the kind of love that God is? Paul tries. He defines love that God is for us, and he says, among other things, many wonderful things, he says, this love never fails. Never. Okay? In the Greek, the language is, the word used for never is odepata. Sorry if that pronounces bad. And it means not ever fails. Never, ever fails. If God expects our love as Christians to never fail, if he expected his son when he walked the earth to live by a love that never, ever failed to the point where his son was being crucified and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they do. His love was extended in every case. If God expects us and his own son to live by that love, we can bet that he lives by, is that love a trillion times over. We miss that idea when we talk about God. We say, sure, he's love, but... His love is there and it never, ever fails. So right off the bat, I think we can say we know from Scripture that in light of these two simple facts, there are some things that might evaporate automatically in our view of what God's purposes and objectives are with the human race. If he is love, what has he done? What is his purpose before creating anything to exercise and present this love to the world. Um, we make a big deal about Jesus, the good news coming and, and saving us from what? Is he saving us from God? Is he saving us from God's wrath? Or is he saving us from Satan and what Satan did? Didn't Jesus come and have victory over death, which was introduced by Satan? which was death in the, in the physical sense, death in the spiritual sense. Didn't Jesus come and have victory over Satan's evil? Why did Jesus come? Because God so loved the world. So we have God who is up there loving and he sends his son to save us and he's calling to all, overcoming Satan, who is the antithesis of love and light, is darkness and self and we have all of this going on, and yet we, we tend to share Christianity in this way. Believe on Jesus, or God's going to pour his wrath out on you. And man, you are really going to get it from him. And we, we, we kind of fall into that, forgetting he loved us so much, he came to save us from it. We're going to talk about wrath. I believe in it. We're going to talk about all those things, but it has to be contextual. We'll get to that. So, the next question we have to ask ourselves is, God all-knowing. Does God know everything? Now, what I mean by all-knowing is does or has God known everything that he cares to know about from before the creation of all immaterial and material things prior to any creative 
period, as described in Genesis, did God know everything? Uh, Bible scholars and apologists have created a word to describe this all-knowingness of God. They call it omniscience. Um, it's not a word I like to use that much because it comes packaged with a lot of extra stuff, but I prefer to just plainly wonder if God has always known everything or not. Now, there's a group of Christian people who suggest that God does not know everything. They embrace a teaching called open theism. It's a growing thing, which pretends to the idea that God is not all-knowing, but he is equipped to handle any new information. Um, I personally reject open theism as viable for a couple basic reasons. First, the teaching counters the biblical descriptions of God, I think. And second, in my opinion, if God did not know all things from the beginning to end, then he could be surprised. And if God is surprised, I think that maybe he would be incapable of exercising reliable governess over the universe. It would be really, I mean, you could say, well, he has everything in line, but a surprise could really throw some wrenches at him. And I don't agree with that, so I refuse to believe open theism is viable. Admittedly, very, very intelligent people have embraced open theism, so maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't think so. I reject open theism, and I think God has known everything from the beginning. The Bible plainly teaches that God knows, sees all things from beginning to end. And Jesus did say that God is aware of the number of sparrows that fall from the sky and the number of hairs on our head. That type of minutia that God would be aware of lets us know that he is probably well aware of the numbers of planets and their orbits and the, and the, and the math and everything that it takes. So I, I would say that we could concur he knows all things. I think most Christians would agree to this. You with me so far? At this point, a question often naturally pops up, which asks, asks Does this all knowing, loving God cause all things to happen? We're going to get to that question in a minute, but let's ask ourselves a third question Is God all powerful? Now, again, human beings, scholars have created words to describe an all powerful God omnipotent, they say. Yeah, this is uh, another, another word that's not in the Bible, but I would strongly suggest that God is, in fact, all-powerful. And what I mean by this is that in the end, does God get his way? In the end, ask yourself, will God get his way? That, to me, suggests all power, all power. Along the way, if he lets things come in and out that aren't his way, that's not the question. Obviously, he does. We have all kinds of things that happen, I'm sure, are not God's way. But in the end, is he victorious? So let me summarize the point by saying I believe that God does have the power to get the desired results he wants in the end. Because he is love and is fair and just and merciful, I think we would have to agree that he doesn't force. He is not forcing or demanding everything go his way. He appears to work in and through issues to achieve his ultimate will, but he will achieve it. And nothing in heaven or on earth is going to stop him getting what he wants in the end. Okay. Now at this point in the conversation, 
the questions, and this is kind of a big topic, is he all-powerful? So let's just, just talk about this. We're just opening it up. Well, if God is all-powerful and he allows certain things to occur and disallows other things to, to occur, couldn't we say that he's responsible for everything that happens? Because he allows some things and he doesn't allow others. Some would say this. I don't because I think that when it comes to placing blame or responsibility, there's a difference between those who take action and those who allow action to be taken. There's a difference. Okay? So because he allows actions to be taken, to me does not mean he's culpable for the actions that have been taken. You may disagree. That's how I see it. Then the question always seems to come up that asks whether God causes everything to happen that happens. We're going to cover that. But suffice it to say, the Bible is clear that God's will is done and that he has the power to accomplish his desired will in spite of man's interference or Satan. Okay, listen. If God's will is not done, then Satan is stronger. Man is stronger. We have control if God's will is not done. And that's, that's the, the problem with it. So in my opinion, those scenarios are not possible. So as far as I'm concerned, God truly is all powerful because his will will ultimately be done. This leads us to the question that asks, by what means does God operate and accomplish his ultimate will? Some suggest that he rides roughshod over everything and he does exactly what he wants. I'm going to do what I want. Get the heck out of my way. I'm in charge. He controls everything. There's no such thing as freedom of choice or free will. He despotically makes everything happen that happens from birds singing to bees buzzing. He does it, period. The words you say, your choices, your decisions, all him puppeteering the entire universe. Forget free will. That's one perspective. I would suggest that since he's love and his will and ways are accomplished in the end, uh, are, are accomplished contrary to such dominance. I cannot put the same God who is love in, into a category that he does everything and forces us to do everything the same. Okay? You decide. I think God gets his way by and through perfect foreknowledge. Like he can see, he knew, he saw how Satan would engage. He saw people's choices. He knows what we'll do. And by his foreknowledge, he orchestrates allowing our free will to engage with his over-omniscient, omnipresent will. And in the end, he will work all things to his good. That's something you have to decide. No matter what Satan does, no matter what our choices are, he will get his will through foreknowledge and forbearance and love, not through domination and puppeteering. In other words, hand in hand with the knowledge that God is love and his love of freedom grants all people the right to comply or rebel to him, but the ultimate control is in his hands because he, he puts everything in play that he knows will work to bring about what he desires. Tied very closely to the notion that God is all-powerful is another po very popular word, and the word is sovereign. Okay, Now, the sovereignty of God might be rewarded to the rhetorical question where we ask, is God's will always accomplished? Sovereign is very close to that. 
So it relates closely to the topic of him always getting what he wants. He is sovereign. He's in control. The word is not found anywhere in the King James Bible. Uh, but it's found 300 times in the NIV, for example. How could it not be anywhere in the King James, but in the NIV, we have it over 300 times? Were the original manuscripts and the King James write phrases like Lord God, Lord God all through? The NIV has gone through and changed that to Sovereign God. Sovereign God. Now, why would that happen? Apparently, the word sovereign was introduced into the English language by French-speaking sovereigns who oversaw England in the 12th century. And originally, sovereign was a French word that was used exclusively to describe men of tremendous power and tremendous ability to control everybody who were under them. Generally speaking, sovereign was and still is used to describe such people of power in political scenes and governments, and it was none other than John Calvin, uh, French, father of modern-day Calvinism, who introduced the term into theological uh, circles because he had a penchant for power and ultimate controlling forces. Calvin was extremely political, highly authoritarian in nature, and a lawyer, once trained for the priesthood, who, did not, who denied in his explanation of Christian theology the notion that human beings were free to make choices and instead pushed the idea that God was a sovereign and therefore in total, utter control of everything in the realm of human experience. Biblically speaking, we can see that the use of sovereign is not necessarily off the mark when it comes to talking about God, but the implication that men like Calvin and those who follow his teachings choose to assign to the term are, in my opinion, way off. What I mean by this is that while God certainly has all power, can we also conclude, as Calvin does, that humankind has no ability to make choices of their own? Calvinists would say so. I would suggest that a preponderance of Scripture suggests otherwise. Now, how do we balance the idea of an all-powerful, sovereign God with a notion that within his reign he allows humans to freely choose, and yet he is also able to get his will done without fail? How does that all balance out? Let's try and obtain a reasonable answer to this situation by trying to understand what it means and doesn't mean when we say God is sovereign and is all-powerful. Many Christians suggest, they, I hear this a lot, I've heard it my, many, many years, that God can do what he wants. He's God. He can do what he wants. That's the definition of, a, of an earthly sovereign. Did you know that? And so Calvin said, I like that idea. If men can be sovereigns, so can God. Um, so we have borrowed the term from the human realm and we've assigned it to God and we now find ourselves seeing him as we might see a sovereign like Pol Pot or Idi Amin or Saddam Hussein who truly did whatever the heck they wanted when they had reign over their countries. This is not so with God. It's not true. In other words, a sovereign egotistical landlord of the 17th century France had more ability to do what he wanted than God. What? 
What are you talking about, McCraney? What are you saying? Just stay with me. Titus 1-2 says, God cannot lie. He cannot lie. God a sovereign, can a despot lie? Can a sovereign man who is a despot like Idi Amin lie? He certainly can. Because he can do something that God can't, does that make him more powerful? No. But what it does is it shows that in his inability to do anything he wants, he is more powerful than any human sovereign. Is that making sense? You see, we have assigned this term and we think, and it really messes us up when we come to situations where we think that God can do anything he wants. He's sovereign. He's over everything. And therefore, it's all his will. I just can't believe that. So does the fact that the despot can lie and that God can't make the despot more powerful than God, it makes him less powerful than God. The fact is because God cannot do things like lie, which are counter to his nature, he is actually superior and far more powerful than all the earthly sovereigns who, in many cases, are unlimited in the range of evil that they can appeal to to get what they want done. That's the problem that Calvinism brought into the picture. He described God as this sovereign who can step in and do any manner of evil upon people because he can do what he wants. He can't do whatever he wants. That's what makes him so trustworthy and beautiful and loving. This is a really difficult perspective for some people to understand, especially the dogmatically zealous. Additionally, toward this point, James says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. So we know God does not tempt us. Can a sovereign despot tempt? He certainly can. Um, do you see how apparent restrictions that seem to limit the paradoxical sovereignty of God only enhance his power? I would say these observations might help us see that while God does, in fact, always get his way, there are limitations. That's right, I said it. There are limitations to the things he can or will do to accomplish them. There are limitations because he set those limitations upon himself because he's holy, because he's good, because he's love. And by being those things, he does not allow himself to do whatever the sovereign God wants to do. By admitting this, we're able to, to, to clear away some of the horrible things that have been laid at God's feet under the auspices of he's sovereign, he can do what he wants. So God is love, he's not despotic, and while all-powerful, it's my opinion, that far too many ugly things have been laid at him. So listen, when a guy, a maniac goes into a school and he shoots up all the children and, and, and we say, well, God's in charge, God is sovereign, and you know, must be his will, I think we need to wake the schnuck up. I mean, come on, are you, are you kidding me? God who is love, it was his will that a guy would go in and shoot up a bunch of children? You've got to be kidding me. That's absolute craziness. It makes no sense tying God who is love and as Christians getting on the media and saying, well, God's in charge. He's got Now, can he work good from that? Yes, he can. That's what he does. He's the fixer. He's the healer. He's the one that says, come to me amidst this horrid stuff. But he is not the one who is in charge of it or over it or the sovereign one in control of it. 
I would say we say that's a tragic, ugly event. But I know our all-powerful God is here to get us through it if we let him. That's what he's there for. And this is where he operates, in the cleanup and in the reparations, not in the causation. Of course, someone could say, well, why didn't our all-powerful God prevent the shooting in the first place? To which I would say, because he's not all-powerful in that sense. He would be a despot if he did. Calvin loved the despot idea. He acted on that uh, inclination when he governed his city. And so he implemented that into the theology that God is the same way. He's insane. There's no way. God allows men to choose good or evil, uh, choose good or evil, but in and through his foreknowledge of all things, he is here to help us through it all, and he can and will use it to bring about good in the end. You still with me? So in addition to God not being able to lie or be tempted nor tempt, we know from Numbers 23, 19, that God promises he limits himself to things he has said. This is what it says. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He hath said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Sovereign man can say and not keep his word. Sovereign man, the despot, can go and say and promise and do anything he wants, but not God. God says, if I've said it, I do it. I will do it. That goodness in him, that holiness makes him reliable. That's a limitation in our mind, but it makes him more powerful, loving, and good in, in the eternal spectrum of things. So in other words, if God has said it, he will make good on it. Some think that because he is sovereign, he's not limited by his words. He can do anything. Bull! The idea runs along the lines of God lying, but it's not exactly the same thing. So while sovereignty is a biblical concept... It can be overused and applied in ways that are not only at odds with Scripture, but are highly unreasonable, especially when we consider other factors that play into the makeup and character of God, including His love, His justice, His truth, His grace, His holiness, and the like. When we allow ourselves to pass from man-made terms and we assign them to God in Scripture and, 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 and to His person, we often end up with some very unreasonable religious tenets, which, which typically do more to damage the faith and the good than comfort in the end. God is certainly not making everything that happens happen. Rather, he is using what happens, good and evil, by the hands of good and evil people to ultimately bring about his goodwill and pleasure. How does he accomplish this? We'll get to that in the next part of the series. So, sorry, setting the word sovereign aside, the question remains, does God have the power to accomplish his will? The responses we get to this query are a little bit dicey because some people claim God does exactly, gets his di desires exactly, which I believe is the biblical premise, while others suggest he does not. And that would suggest that external forces or factors have the ability to thwart his will. I can't believe that at all. If that's the case, God could certainly not be considered all-powerful, but merely wishful and hopeful creator who will be, who is subject to subordinate forces which paradoxically have the ability to trump him. We don't understand that. So taking this out a bit further, if God is not always able to accomplish his desires, then he's not all-powerful. If he's not all-powerful, then he's certainly not in control. And if he's not in control, then his knowledge of everything amounts to little more than, than 
failed knowledge. And if he can't do anything about knowing everything going on around him, then the love that he is could be considered ineffective and ineffectual and ultimately fails. And if God's love and it is love and his love fails, then love is a waste of time. Let's not follow it. Let's be barbarous and do whatever we want, the antithesis of love, and kill each other. And that's the only way to survive. You see, it doesn't work. Are you sensing the slippery slope that we step on the moment we say that God does not or cannot accomplish his desires? Do you see when we say that free will can stop him from accomplishing his desires? I would suggest that we see God as scripture describes him. He is love. His love never fails. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. That his will and desires are always accomplished in the end by and through his foreknowledge. This brings us to the fourth question we're going to answer next week. Does God desire that all people would be saved? And it's a two-part question. Does God desire that any should perish? Does he desire that all would be saved? Does he desire that any should perish? Ask yourself that question. We'll come to those questions uh, next week. And, um, and go from there. Let's... Uh, open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. Uh, while the operators clear your calls, take a look at this. Doing the Lord and every viewer a disservice if I said Mormonism is Christian, because it's a lie. American evangelical Christianity. We're going to go after its politicking. We're gonna go after its demands. We're gonna go after its culture. We're going to go after its doctrine relative to what the Bible says. I do not believe any Christian has the right to demand that another believer receive such man-made terms or creeds or demands us to receive anything else. So I'm not going to get into a war with, with other believers over doctrine. I'm not gonna do it. That is the opposite of what we're told to do. We're told to love, but think and go to God and open up your scripture and search and let's try to figure this out together and let's cast off anything that is not biblical. In the end, we hope this couple will be able to produce a little baby we call truth. 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 Good calls. All right, we're going to Jeff in West Jordan. Jeff, I think you tried to call last week. You waited a long time. I'm really sorry. You're on the air. Hey, thanks, Sean, for taking my call. Yeah, I think you accidentally hung up on me last week, so no big <laughs> deal. Hey, um, my call tonight is my question for you is regarding um, the, like the function of pastoral ordin ordination. And I'm wondering if you think it's an important um, part of if you're going into ministry to, you know, go through that process of ordination. Uh, you mean ordination through the hands of, of uh, other men? Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, uh, for the purpose of, you know, you know, running a church and, you know, performing wedding ceremonies and things like that. Yeah, so, uh, Jeff, just so I'm clear on you, so the ordination would come through a denomination that uh, exacts certain compliance to their distinctive doctrines and practices? Well, yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, 
obviously, like I, I was watching the show a few weeks ago, and you mentioned Chuck Smith. Yeah. And I, I know, you, so you had apparently gone to uh, Costa Mesa. Yeah. Calvary Church. So I'm like, you know, does, you know, did you go through the process of ordination? No. Okay. Well, how how do you feel comfortable then, you know, running a church? I don't. How do you feel? Do you feel comfortable, like, you know, com, you know, doing wedding ceremonies and things of that nature? No, I hate them. Okay. Well, good. Thanks for taking my call. It's, I, 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 my, my main, you know, question, I think, was for the purpose of like accountability, and, and I guess because of your recent statements about accountability, I guess you don't feel like you need to be accountable to anybody. No, I am. I am definitely either. accountable yeah. to somebody, and that's God. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Sean. And wait, but let's just talk about this, Jeff, before you make your, your statement. You have an agenda, so let's no, talk. No, yeah, I, well, yeah, yeah I have an just, agenda. Well, I certainly me, do have an yeah, agenda. You do have an agenda, so let me address it. Okay, I, yeah, I, be- go ahead. I, I believe I'm accountable to God, similar to the way John the Baptist was. I don't know who he was accountable to. I mean, I don't know what training John the Baptist went through when he took on his ministry. I mean, how did he feel comfortable doing baptisms? You know, do you hold them here? Do you hold them there? How much yeah. water? I mean, so do we need the denomination and men to say, well, we think, John, you should do it this way? I mean, so I just use biblical examples. I look at Paul who says, I didn't confer with any men. In fact, mm-hmm. I went straight to the Sinai Desert and I conferred with the Lord himself. And then when I did confer with men, I had a conversation with Peter and a conversation with James and that was it. So, I mean, uh, it, I, I mean, it, if, if Paul can say that and if John the Baptist can say that, yeah. I don't know why I can't. Yeah, well, it's, you know, even Paul went around everywhere, every church he planted, he ordained elders and pastors. We're not talking about that, are we? We are talking about, about what their call was. And yeah. they're no, I'm acting just, I'm just, in that call. My, again, but I'm just I'm reiterating the fact that, you know, Paul certainly did do that. Yeah, who ordained Paul? Who ordained Paul and who ordained John? You know, obviously God did. Okay, so then why don't we leave it at that, I, Jeff? But, and, and, of course, but, you know, the... You know, God, God, you know, I think it's in Ephesians 4 that God is in charge of everybody who goes into ministry. But Amen. the people, but p- people have to kind of agree with where God is going with that. You know, so like it, it was a certain uh, process that, you know, Paul and Titus went through. Yeah, and I go through a process every week I stand up and try to do church. The people vote yeah. with their feet. They say, we like what he's saying and doing or we don't. And yeah. they, they walk or they stay. And, and that's yeah. the beautiful thing about it, Jeff, is that yeah. we don't have them sign memberships. And, oh, and no, we don't, no, I'm not we don't, talking about memberships. Uh, we don't like have that. them ordain me as the guy. We kind of have an open thing where people get to talk about what they want and they believe what they want. And we talk about the Bible and we teach it the best of our ability and we try to love. And so far it's kind of worked out. No, and I'm glad it's working out for you. My, I, again, my, my concern, though, is being a fairly new Christian yourself, I've, I've seen a lot of ministry. I've been a Christian for understand what this almost is. 30 years now. And I've you seen have? a lot of ministry. So you're appealing you know, to the time? And fall, you're and, appealing and the, to the time, time that, that you've been a Christian? I've seen a, a ministry fall. It's Falling ministries now. either an immature Christian or a Christian that's not accountable. Oh, 
So, Jeff, let me ask you, who are you accountable to making this call? Oh, I'm accountable, I'm accountable well, to make the no, call. Yeah, this to make a, this call. I mean, this isn't a church service I'm, I'm conducting. It sounds like it's but related to the church. To several men. It sounds like this is related to the body. Who gave you the right to call somebody who's on the air and call me out? Did your pastor know you were going to do this? You gave me permission. You put your phone number on the TV. Okay, so did your pastor say you should, in the body of Christ, take this? Did you get his permission? Did, did I need to? Yes. It sounds like you're saying we need to do that. No, I'm not. A, I'm not an ordained minister. I'm not running a church. Oh, so you're not I'm accountable. Are you accountable to your pastor? Are you accountable to? not, he feels. Are you accountable to your pastor? Be accountable to another man. Are you accountable to your pastor? Yes. Well, so then, much did, so, yes. did you let your pastor know that you were going to make this call and call out another brother on you know the what? air? If you, if you want me to, I can. I can. I think. Tell him. I'll I, I think you should. The way you think, you should. Every time I even go to the bathroom. Well, you might want to. I, but I certainly would if I was if I was making a, an important decision. Well, this is an important decision. Or, or conducting this, a service, certainly I would go. This and is be important, Jeff. To my pastor. Jeff, I mean, right now you're speaking in front of a lot of people. This is yeah. very important. And, and so what you're saying is this isn't important. You say in important decisions, I would go to my pastor to get permission. And yeah. you're saying this isn't. This is very important. More yeah. people will hear you as a Christian doing what you're doing right now than they'll ever see you doing anything in yeah. your local church. Yeah, exactly. And, so and did you go exactly, to him? Here's the purpose. Is so did you, you go to him? A teaching ministry. Did you go to him? And so if you have a did teaching ministry. Did you go to him? I'm did sorry? you go to him? Go to who? Your pastor. Do you want, I, I don't understand the question. Did you ask him if you could have permission to do this? I think we already, I, Sean, I think we already made okay, that Okay, well, Jeff, the clear. point is important to make because what you're suggesting is we need to be accountable and we need to be under people who are over us, and yet mm. you're doing something in the body right now that you have absolutely no right to do. You're doing the very thing that I do, but you're pointing the finger at me for doing it, but you're doing the very same thing right now. Do you see how you are the pot calling the kettle black, my friend? No, no, I see. Yeah, and that's don't the problem is you don't, I don't see have that. A teaching ministry, and if I this listen, is a teaching moment. We're listen, all Sean, teachers. You know, the person that yells the loudest didn't win the argument. Okay, good point. Okay, you so won let that, me buddy. What I'm saying. But let me just tell you. If, if I were to go in front of my church, or okay. even on here, all if right. my pastor were to hear something right now on this TV show, yeah, um, and knew it was me, yeah, and knew I was teaching false doctrine, or even questionable doctrine, I would still be accountable for what I say. So, of yes, course you would. Am I accountable to my pastor in this, in this call? Sure, certainly I am. You are? Then why didn't you consult him before you did it? That, well, that, that, I, 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 you're, that, <laughs> what you're asking for me is to call my pastor every time I decide to make a decision or before, this before is a I talk decision. to anybody? That doesn't make sense. This is a decision I'm in the body. To a man that runs this is a in the church. body. This is in the body. That has a teaching ministry on TV. This is a very important call. This is in it the is. body. It is. But you didn't consult your authority to get permission to do it. That's what really troubles me. Well, Sean. Okay, we've you've beaten that horse to no, death. No, because the now, horse okay? needs to be beaten. I will definitely. I will call my pastor tonight. No, you've done it after the fact. You're getting forgiveness rather than not, permission. Let me finish. I repent for not calling. No, the that's not fair. Calling Sean's That's not fair. And asking him. A you question. willfully sin. My question was pretty simple. I I don't know why you have to get so defensive about it. Uh, look at your little game is nothing different than the Mormons, buddy. You know, you, what you've done is you're doing exactly what the Mormons do. Oh, and so, so I saw silly. it. Look so at, silly, I saw it before you even started. 
when your, your simple question was lofting up a softball. Listen, all I'm asking you to no, why don't you let me talk? Do is because let me talk. Sean, there's let so me many talk. people that are concerned about you right now. Oh, bite we, the wall. This is, this is stuff we actually talk Go about. Go bite we're your own wall. Bite you, the wall. What you're teaching you're, and what you're okay, saying. Okay, so now we're getting to the heart of the matter. This is what we wait for, the heart of the matter. Why yeah. didn't you call Jeff and say, I am a Christian who is concerned about you. We've talked about you, and I yeah. really want to know. But instead, you came around, you circumvented the thing, and you came in like a, hey, you know, what do you think about ordination, Sean? Oh, that, like that, the Mormons do. Question. That was a good question. And You're in the question. same boat, buddy. And look at, we're talking You're about in the, the same boat. You're a coward, and you won't go to the heart of the matter Sean, till now. Sean, I'm on the Jeff, phone with Jeff, you right now. Jeff, How Jeff, Jeff, you tried I've, to I've hang up. You. I've called you. You tried to hang now. up. It's not easy for everybody to call up and confront somebody, buddy. It seems easy for you. You I don't really seem do. to have a problem so, with it. We've met. We've, we've so chatted on email. I don't I'm know who you are. About you, and you're treating me like a, a piece of dirty, filthy rag, man. Okay, I'm, now, I'm now calling, it's me I'm treating you like Sean, one. I'm concerned about you. I love you, man. Put your love. I'm concerned about your, if you're your, concerned your about, statements about not being accountable to anybody. If you, uh, I am you. accountable to God. If that's not enough for you, too freaking bad. Okay. Well, I don't care, Jeff. Okay. Well, I don't I'm sorry know you. you feel that way, but we're you're duplicitous. About you. We still love you, you're, bro. I, I don't care if you love me. You're a duplicitous well, man. Okay, we're done. I guess we're done talking. No, we're not done talking. You're a duplicitous man. That and is, you you came no, in here really under true. a false you, premise. What you do is you say things like that and then you hang up on people. I'm not Dude, hanging I'm, up. I'm literally, I just I literally just said I'm concerned about you. That I, I don't love care you. if you're concerned about me, dude. Your concern means nothing. I go to God. You can be concerned, you can love me, we can get along, you can hate me. It's irrelevant. I don't hate you. That's well, why okay, I'm Okay, good. You. I don't hate you either, but I hate your approach because it's duplicitous. And you were a coward when you did it. That's well, what ticks me that off. So, That's that why so I get unfair. mad, Jeff. That is so unfair. It's totally fair. And you know it's no, true, and that's it's why so it's bugging you. You call me a coward when I'm actually. I'm, <laughs> you tried to hang yeah, up after really you did your dog you and pony. I, I do make these calls Jeff, very easy. I'm. I'm actually really nervous. Jeff, you tried to hang up after you did your bo dog and pony show, and I wouldn't let no, you. I to no, no, I you totally No, you said that's did. all I, I want to say, we, and you started to I go. I really didn't think you were going to continue the conversation. No, but, but I'm still talking. I'll talk to you. Yeah. Hey, Sean, we'll get toge let's get together for coffee. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah, yeah. I want to go waste my time with a man whose mind is set up already. Oh, that was really, you know, that's, well, that's a really loving is, thing Jeff. to say. Well, hey, I, have a good night, Sean. Oh. <laughs> who's hanging up on who? You see, here's the thing. I, I'm trying to tell you and be straight with you. I'm just trying to be straight. I can't couch things because to me that's hypocrisy. So if I say it's a waste of time to have lunch with you, that's what it is. It's a waste of freaking time. And I can tell when talking to you over the phone that you had something to bring to me to make a point. So you could tell your buddies at church, I called McCraney. We've been worried about him, concerned. We love him so much. So I called the show. And you know what I did? I laid out, hey, what do you think about ordination, Sean? Do you like it? Do you think it's good? Instead of just saying, you know, I really don't like what you do, and I think you're fallen. Then if you had said that, I would have said, let's have lunch. Let's sit down and talk. But now I know what you're about, and I deal with your types all the time. So sorry if I told you to bite the wall. It's not the best thing to say to somebody. Let's go to David in Odessa, Texas. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, howdy, Sean. Hello, um, David. This is David uh, from Odessa. I have a, uh, I had one or two comments to make. Uh, one, 
um, you know, when he's talking about ordained ministers and uh, the church and everything, um, well, uh, you know, I, I was a history major, and I know from my schooling that the church didn't actually start getting involved in actual uh, marriage ceremonies until about 1000 AD. Huh. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, the, the, the fact that the church has to be there to hold your hand and tell you what's right to say or what kind of interpretations to make, I, I feel is ridiculous. I, I just want to make that point. And uh, the other thing is, uh, I, I'm in Odessa, Texas. I, um, a friend of mine recently became Mormon, and I just pleaded with him. I said, hey, man, just please don't drink the purple Kool-Aid. And, uh, you know, he, he did it, and... Um, but he's had doubts now that I've, I've kind of discovered your show on YouTube and uh, I've discovered the anachronisms of the flora and fauna as it pertains to um, whether or not certain species existed um, in, the, in the United States, uh, in the current United States, you know, around 400 B.C. Um, and, and all of that, uh, I, I feel in my human worldly brain then I could go over there and have my scheduled debate. I have, I have a kind of a little scheduled debate with these missionaries on, on Friday, uh, that I could go over there drunk and stone and still win this. Day. Now, obviously I don't plan to do that. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I would love any other kernel of wisdom and, and I would love to, you know, have my pride, not just kind of, um, uh, I guess, take me, uh, in a place that's not loving and that's not respectful. Because I, I just watched your first episode. David, that, uh, that first episode is probably the best episode we ever did because bottom line, David, especially in this uh, environment of the LDS Church coming out with uh, agreeing that things that have been hidden for so long are true, the best thing I believe you can do, David, is share Jesus. Have they been born again? Do they know him? Give them the test to go and ask God for a new heart. Things like that, I think, are going to go far, far further. Because what the LDS are doing is they are removing all the stuff to be talked about that might shake somebody now. So now we use Jesus. Now they're going to well, so do that. Yeah, so it's kind of like a uh, spiritual, um, uh, not type, uh, judo, I guess, where yeah. you move out of the way of your opponent's um, uh, attack. Very and, good. I mean, and you know, and, 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 and you're right. I mean, the, the former infantry and infantryman in me wants to just, you know, cross the LOA and double tap the problem a couple times. But I can't do that. This, this this isn't Iraq. This is this is you know, uh, this is this is something a little bit more. Yeah, don't double tap the life. problem with the missionaries. <laughs> it's not going to work out well. I, hey, I don't mean that. Well, I, I know, I know, uh, David. Hey, we got another call. Really appreciate it, my brother. Yeah, I, God bless I you. It. Thank you, sir. Okay, talk to you. Bye-bye. We got Cassidy. This must be my daughter. I don't know any other Cassidy. Dad. Cassidy McCrane. Hey. Hey, what's up? Uh, I just want to publicly say how proud I am of you. Hey, thanks. And uh, just how we're in really deep SHIT when one brother says that he's accountable to God and the other brother says good luck with that. Hmm really really troubling yeah really troubling don't let it bug you we are accountable to god so you are and i am 
and that's how we know it works. So you keep your head up and don't let the don't let the bastards get you down. To quote somebody, I think it's a military phrase. Honey, I love you. Don't let this upset you. I love you. I'm proud Good of you. you. Thanks, babe. Love you. Bye. Bye bye. I don't tell my children to do that. They they get really upset. They get personally upset when things like that come down the pike. And um, you know you can't blame them. Um, trust God. Don't trust me. I have no authority at all. And neither do any neither does anybody else who is ordained by another denomination or institution. They have no authority but the authority given to them by Christ and their faith in Him. And so whether you're ordained or you're educated or you have a PhD or you're a backwooded guy with buck teeth that eat corn through a picket fence and you preach the gospel, that's where you get your authority. That is from him. And you can get rid of all this religion stuff. You see, these guys are religionists and they want to insulate and they want to keep things under their control. I say to heck with that. Let's let God have the control. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride, going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the wind And I won't be coming out, I'm going in This man's awake the storms are rising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the 